Flow Game Podcast with K&K. Today, you're just getting me. No Kenny. Uh, I interviewed Tiffany Hoffman. Uh, she's a local realtor here in San Diego, and uh, I really love being able to interview other women in the business. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in the podcast, but you know, uh, the there are very few women in this industry that are, uh, well, very few women in this industry in general. I think that's not even just a San Diego thing. I think that's just a thing, no matter where you are. We're in a man's world. So uh, I had a lot of fun getting Tiffany on, on the show, and she has a background in real estate. Her dad was in real estate uh, growing up, still is, I think, uh, to a large degree. And um, Tiffany's kind of carrying on the family legacy and kind of paving her own way uh, and helping people to in, invest in, in real estate as well. So I think she has like a very fresh take given that it's been in her family for a long time. Uh, her dad, she's seen her dad invest in apartments. She's seen him build it up, lose it all, build it back up. Uh, she's helping other people to build it up. And I think she just has a really fresh perspective. A lot of realtors in San Diego uh, that are doing one to four units are really primarily focused on helping people buy a home. And Tiffany is super focused on helping uh, real estate investors, uh, whether you're an experienced real estate investor or even helping first-time real estate investors. I think that's you know something that she definitely loves to do. Uh, so I just love how she, her take, I love her confidence. Uh, I love how much she knows and uh, I love that she kind of just owns it. So she's just a really cool human being on top of that. So um, I won't hold everyone back. I'll let you enjoy this episode. And if you can, uh, it's really important for us to be able to continue to interview people and bring you valuable information, share people's stories. Hopefully it's something that can help you, somebody you know, somebody you love. Uh, in their journey as well. So if you can, please do subscribe to the show, share it with your friends, your family, everyone you know. And uh, if you feel so inclined, please give us a review and feel free to also let us know if there's anything else that you want us to cover, anything you think we missed, anything you want us to improve on, all the good stuff. We want to hear it from you. Without further ado, let's listen to Tiffany Hoffman. Tiffany, thanks for coming on today. I feel like we haven't had enough girl guests and I've had actually a couple people say that. So we've made, well, it's really hard. I mean, I I saw this on your website that there's like five women in real estate, especially investment. Oh my gosh. And we know all of them. Right. And you know, the personalities of all of them and you know, who's like, oh yeah. Yeah. So it's difficult. I feel like we're in a man's world, Mm -hmm. making it prettier and more fun and better, but you know. Well, I mean, we can't just be all like dudes on TikTok saying how they make like three million a month or whatever. Right. Or they drive up in their Ferraris or whatever it is, or they're buying Bitcoin or whatever. Right. And then they're telling people like, (laughs) I saw one. So I've been like really deep diving into like TikTok and like reels and stuff like that. Yeah. I found like my girl realtors that I like love. (gasps) You're going to have to share some of those with me. Well, there's one out of Atlanta. She has this like thick Southern accent and she always wears stars. And I'm like, I want to be her best friend. She's like 60. Yes. And if you go outside of San Diego or even California, then I have found like a handful of women, like real estate investors, syndicators, realtors, whatever, doing commercial. Um, But I feel like in San Diego, it's very small. Like we're kind of old school here too, I feel like. Oh, totally. And it shouldn't be because at least from my experience, we don't, the investors are not all men. They're almost all couples. Yeah. 
And when you're in a couple, most of the time the woman runs the show. Yep. So it's like that's how I've been able to, I think, have great clients is because the woman always gravitates towards me because they get called from men all the time. Yep. And, like, they don't know who to trust. And then they're like, well, you, you seem trustworthy. I'm like, I hope that I am. <laughs> like, I'm not going to screw you over. But Nothing bad towards any of the men that I know because I know so many of them. But I do feel like women do have a different approach. Right. And it's not the, like, harsh, salesy approach. We're a little bit more friendly and easy. Yeah. Well, and I think it comes from this almost taking the residential aspect of things. Because when you generally help someone buy a house, it's what are your goals? What do you want? What are you looking for? It's yep. not all numbers-based. Right. And how many – and I, the numbers of transactions that I've done where the numbers are kind of iffy, but it's the area they want to be in. It's the type of architecture that they like. It's just something speaks – Something about the property speaks to them. And then they buy it and it's like, okay, like this isn't the best cash flowing asset, but like long term, it's going to be a great equity play. Like you love the building and that's what's more important because this is your money. It's not mine. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like not everybody has the same goal too, right? Right. I mean, some people need cash flow now. Some people want it later. Some people need tax write-offs right now. Right. So is that what kind of what you're seeing when people are buying stuff in some of these like better neighborhoods, like maybe Hillcrest or Bankers Hill or... Even downtown. I think it's a mix of both of that. Um, I've taken clients from not great neighborhoods into really good neighborhoods, and the client is continuing to work. So their goal is just to have moved that equity since they had so much of it, and they needed a a write-off. And so they're like, yeah, it breaks even, but that's okay because, like, we know the rents are going to go up. And sure enough, the rents already went $300 in the last four months on one unit. So, like, they know rents are going to go up. They knew it would cash flow, and they needed that write-off for their other business. And, like, they're like, content with that whereas you know some people would be like absolutely not I need this to cash flow but when you're working with four or five hundred grand we know it's difficult to find things that cash flow without going to more management intensive neighborhoods yes which generally don't have the same appreciation as your 9204 your 9203 your 9202 all your uptown neighborhoods yeah that's the thing I was just gonna say because I was reading an article this morning that was saying rents have already increased like 13 percent I'm sure it's more in some areas and less in others but I mean, when you're talking about a place and like Little Italy downtown, Hillcrest, Bankers Hill, any or anything coastal, when you say 13%, that number is so much bigger than yep. you know some of the other like C neighborhoods right. that some of us are investing in. So I feel like now more than ever because of the rent growth, some of these nicer neighborhoods are making a lot more sense. They are absolutely making a lot more sense. But now I'm noticing, and I'm so I, I like my investment space because I'm not really like this person that thinks someone should sink three, four, 500 grand into a house that's, you know, not really a growing asset. It doesn't count towards your net worth, like all of these other things. Go buy an asset that's going to create some income, offset that mortgage a little bit. But we're getting to a point rent-wise, which I have not seen in the six years that I've been licensed, that you can now go buy a condo in a good neighborhood for maybe $200 more than rent. And it's like, I wasn't one to encourage people to buy condos a few years ago, but now I'm like, if you got the cash, this is your way to get into the game without needing to buy your $800,000 house, which is, you know, the median house. If you can find a three to $400,000 condo, most likely that's going to be about the same as it's going to cost to rent it. And you're not going to have to compete in this crazy rental market. Like Constellation, you ask them, they're like, oh, we have nothing available and we have 30 people on a wait list for anything that comes available first. Yep. And I talk to all my friends trying to rent right now. I'm like, why aren't you buying? Like, what is just, what is holding you back? And they're like, oh, I, I don't know. I can't afford it. I'm like, you can. It's a lot more affordable than you think. Like, here's one right now. I mean, I'm in an escrow right now. 
And the same thing, I knew what this person wanted. I knew where their trigger points were. I saw this come on and I was like, this is $350,000 for a two bedroom, two bath, two, two miles to the beach. Like your payment's $2,300 a month, huge. including everything. Yeah. Like you can't buy a house for that. Nope. And you can barely rent for that. That's amazing. I, we're actually, I think, reaching that shift right now, which is like, it actually makes more sense to buy than it does to rent. Yep. I think the one thing you obviously contend with is the down payment. So you right. have to have the down payment, but otherwise rents are getting so high that you mm-hmm. could almost just buy the house if you have it. Yeah. And that's, that's absolutely where we're at. Um, like, and you think of a house even see like Del Cerro, you know, to rent that house in Del Cerro is going to be $4,500. Well, that could be your payment. And yes, you do need to have that down payment, which most people don't have, but you can buy a house at 5% down. Right. So, okay. 5% is not as big of a number as 20% down, which is your, your two, 300 grand. So right. that it, the Delta shifts a little bit right there, but it's wild how we've gotten to that point. Cause we were not at that point a few years ago. It has always made more sense to rent. Yeah. What do you think it is? I mean, I think part of it's the inventory. Yeah. It's probably a big part of it. I think it's the inventory, the moratorium. So yeah. you didn't have the same movement of renters like you've had in the past. Um, I think we're going to see things change a little bit in the next few months because I know so many notices were given in the last month alone. Um, but I think it's also demand of where we live. I think people moved here during COVID. You know, we were one of the few cities in California that didn't see outward migration. Which is funny because everybody's talking about how people are leaving in droves. Uh, they're leaving California in droves. But guess what? They're also coming here in droves. They're coming here. So, yeah. yeah San like, Diego is like a top community place, people. And I actually, I say this all the time, maybe we're biased, but I think San Diego is the best city in California. Totally agree. Far. We have the best weather. It's easy to get in and out of. Our airport isn't in the boonies. Yeah. <laughs> like... We have a really great social scene with restaurants. We have lots of stuff to do. We're a tourist town, which I think is a benefit for our economy. I totally agree with that. And to the have, most affordable place, I feel like, to coastal community in California. Coast, oh, yeah. You get these people from the Bay Area, and they're like, oh, my gosh. What for, a steal. For $2 million, I can live this close to the beach and yeah. don't have to put 50% down? Yep. Like, it's wild. You know where else I've been hearing, and uh, I read an article about too recently, is that a lot of people from LA are moving to Rancho Santa Fe, like oh, buying homes. Sense. Because think about the bang for your buck you get. Oh my gosh! In Rancho Santa Fe compared to maybe I don't know Calabasas or wherever yeah. the heck they're living out there in the valley. So now you get this like fabulous home. So I think you have all these like LA like influencers and like micro celebrities that are actually moving to the ranch now totally which is good because the ranch was like a bunch of old people before so you need new blood coming into that area well and the ranch was actually suffering for a while like i would see these listings sitting and then price drops over and over Uh like everything else was recovering and rancho santa fe was still kind of struggling yep and so they're kind of getting some life again i feel like which is good but you're right it's so affordable it's like and this sounds so bad but for three million dollars you could either buy House of Mission Hills on, you know, what, a quarter of an acre that's 2,500 square feet, or you buy a house on, like, five acres right? that's 10,000 square feet with, like, a pool and a tennis court, and it's the same price. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you could basically build a village on your land if you want. Literally could. Yeah, yeah I love that. Oh, my gosh. it's It's been interesting for sure down here, and I think it says a lot for our city that we're the second fastest growing city in the United States behind, behind Phoenix, which has seen insane growth. And we're a high tax state, which says a lot yes. about our city and our demographics specifically. I mean, the people that bought last year alone are like, can knock off their PMI if they bought yeah. with low down payments, are able to sell at massive profits. So it's just, it's our, it's 
it's our community. And I have to explain this to people who are like, well, you think there's going to be a bubble and it's going to burst? I'm like, not here. I don't, I, I don't think so either. I think there might be like a, like a flattening. Cause yeah. I mean, if inventory increases and rates increase just a little bit, like that's going to make pricing flatten yep. at least. And I, and the thing that we always say too, is like, well, it depends. So let's say that prices drop five or 10%. If, as long as you're not selling, who cares? Right. You hold on to it for another five years and then you'll be right back on a, on the upswing. Exactly. Like there's almost like no chance that whatever you buy today isn't going to be worth more in let's just say 10 years. Like yep. give it a decade, you're fine. Exactly. Like follow the statistics. Like markets go up, markets go down. But right. if you're not going to sell, it doesn't actually matter if the right. market goes down. Can you afford that payment today? Can you afford to hold on to that asset? Do your rents cover all of your expenses, maybe plus a cushion? And do you have a job that can sustain pain for your mortgage and do you anticipate leaving that job or whatever? It's like, as long as the answer to all that is, yes, it covers and no, I don't plan on leaving, buy the asset, don't just sit around on the sidelines. I agree. Like, I have to explain this to people in ways that you see online, oh, well, it's gonna go down in value. It's like, who cares? You're not selling it. So I have a question for you. Do you, when people, like, let's say that you have a first time buyer, like someone wants to buy their first property. Are you, how are you guiding them whether they buy an investment property or they buy something owner occupied? What is that conversation like? Uh, so I will get people that come to me specifically with the intention of buying an owner occupied like investment property. That is their goal. They read bigger pockets. They're so excited yes. for this. And I'm like, all right. Um, and so the idea, I consider something to be a good deal because it's very difficult to house hack in San Diego. Like, the traditional term of house hacking and living somewhere for free is borderline impossible because our our um, cost is so high. People don't really understand that. But if you can live there for the same price or less than what the rent would be today, then that's a good deal because your rents on the other units are going to go up. Let's say the seven percent, the five percent plus inflation, seven to nine percent every single year. So today you're living there for the same cost as rent, but your cost is going to go down year over year because your rents are going to go up. Yep. So I like to push people into owner-occupied investments, but if that's not what they want to, they don't want to be a landlord, that's fine too. I'll push them into something I think makes financial sense now, and then also will make financial sense as an investment if they move out in a few years. If someone comes to me and is like, I want to buy a million dollar home, as my dad told me, I'm not their financial planner, so I'm yeah. not going to tell them otherwise. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm going to help guide them, but... I think owner-occupied financing is so good and it's a waste not to use it. Do you feel like you're sort of a financial advisor even though you're really not? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, my dad... You almost can't do your job without kind of advising them financially. I know, but as my as my dad said, when I, I had this client that I, I love this couple and they bought something and I went to my dad, I was like, this is a terrible investment, dad. Yeah. And, and I used to work with my dad and he was like, it's not your job. You told them, didn't you? And I said, yeah. And he's like, okay, just get the escrow closed. Like, yeah, yeah. At a certain point, you have to shut up it's and true. do your job and get the paperwork and do everything you can for them. And like, that is your job. And I was like, okay, okay, just making sure. And I was like, I think we've all had those moments. Like sometimes it's just, I cringe because I'm like, oh my God, you're putting so, you're going to put so much stress on yourself just to get this house that you can barely afford. But it's, it's really tough because I do feel like some people just need to learn the hard way. Like they're not going to take your advice no matter how you try. Like you can tell them 10 different ways and they'll still be like, buy the house. Well, and they're so set on it. They're like, 
And I'm glad that people still have this idea that they want to get into homeownership because that is the first step. Like, I'm glad that you're buying property no matter what, but you've now taken yourself from your payment of $2,000 a month renting to $4,500 a month and your income hasn't changed. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that's a choice. <laughs> well, the hardest thing is because I saw, uh, I think the general rule of thumb is that you're, you should your housing costs should be like thir- less than 33% of your income. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that there's that many people in San Diego that have that situation. It's just too, like they, would, they wouldn't even be able to buy or they'd right. be in a condo or something that they don't want, right? right. So it's, it's, I think it's hard. People have this emotional attachment to this meaning of home. Yep. And they'll do almost anything yep. to get it. It's wild. It's really interesting. And I traditional 20% down, I'm like, why would you put that into a house when you could put it into an investment? But then you have other loan programs. Like if you have a VA loan available to you and you're not buying a house when you're stationed somewhere for two years, what are you doing? Yeah. Because if it goes down in value, who cares? All you paid was for closing costs in this market, most likely. All you paid for was closing costs. Like you lost maybe five or $10,000. Like yeah. big whoop. Yeah. You put nothing down on this house. Use your VA loan. Right. <laughs> like, the, the one thing we did, because we, when we first started investing, um, we wanted to live, we wanted like a fourplex. Yeah. House in front, units in back. Oh, yeah. And we oh, were yeah. looking everywhere. And then it was like, at the time, it was a little scary because where we wanted to live, these places at the time, Bankers Hill was like a million dollars or 1.2 million for like a fourplex, which is like a joke now. I know. <laughs> but so we ended up buying a house and saying, okay, we're going to live in this house for two years. We're going to fix it up. Mm-hmm. We're going to get married. And then we're going to sell the house to make the half a million dollars tax free. And that's right. going to be the money that we use for the first investment property. That is a smart strategy. Well, it, you finagle, right? Like yeah. I kind of like was looking and we couldn't find what we wanted. And then you're like, okay, fine. We're going to do the house. But I will tell you that leaving that house was very difficult. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Clawfoot <laughs> tubs and like fused to downtown in Coronado and like all these, fa- I was like negotiate. I was trying to negotiate with Kenny. I was like, <laughs> okay, what if we never go on vacation, but we just keep this house? Keep like, I'll here. never leave. Like, so we'll save all this money. What if we just get a line of credit and we know? refi? Yeah. I mean, take that money and then put it yes. on the next property? Yes. <laughs> the answer was no, because it was like the most cash to sell. But it honestly, yeah. that was like one of the smartest things we did. So I feel like if people feel, you know, like they're feeling like I can't find this place or they're feeling discouraged. It's it's like, I think the the more you focus on something, you will figure out how you're going to make it work. Well, and I think there's a lot to be said about that selling, pulling equity out. And it, I mean, again, it depends on someone's goals, but if you bought your house at, I heard, I heard this scenario with someone that I knew and I was like, sell. And they were like, why? And I was like, let me explain. If you buy your house at 350, you're now getting an all cash offer at 700 from open door. You've now have $350,000 of equity, but your payment's only on 350. Well, if you don't like the neighborhood you live live in and you only bought it because it was affordable at the time, like you've now opened up that door because probably you made a little bit more money. You have something in savings. You take that 350 and you go buy a house you actually like in a neighborhood you actually want to be in, or you sit on that cash for a little bit, wait for things to cool and then yeah. go buy something later. But it's like, sometimes you get to an equity point. It's like, take your money and run. Like, yeah. don't, do you want to stay in this house for five to 10 years? Is that really your goal? And if the answer is, I don't know, take your money. Like we're at this insane part of the market. We might not see these, these types of numbers and these ease of transactions in certain neighborhoods for a while. And it's like, take your money. Yes, I agree. 
I, we've seen more and more people selling their homes and then renting. Yep. Although I will say, I think at the beginning we were kind of like the market's really hot. Maybe wait. What do you say to the people who who say like the market's really hot and I think it's prices are going to drop and we're just going to wait? I'm like, what do you say? Uh, it depends. It depends on their goals. Goes back to that goal conversation. Um, depends where they plan to work. Are they continuing to be remote? Do they want to be by family? Did they not like their other house? There's a lot of things that go into play with that, and it depends what their goals are. I think financially and with real estate and For sure. all of that other stuff. Yeah. Um, and do they have kids? Do they not have kids? Do they need to be in a good school school system? Like those are all kind of moving parts that go with it. So I think the first question is, what are your goals, and then. If the payment makes sense and you find something that you like, I say, hey, like, let's put yourself on a drip. If you see any houses that you like, let me know. Let's go look at them or let's see any properties that you like. And then you look at the place and if it works, the numbers work, you're not over leveraged, you jump on it. And I think that's the rule of thumb regardless. If the numbers make sense, you go for it. And if if you feel like you're over leveraged and you feel like it's a maybe, I think that's where a lot of buyers are going to feel remorse in the next year is they got so caught up in the frenzy of oh my gosh, I have to get a house. I have to get a house. I kind of like this one. Okay, I'll make an offer. Oh my gosh, did we get it? And it's like, I'm like... A lot of people settling or overpaying. They're yeah. settling... Like over their budget. Over their budget yeah, because yeah. they felt like they had to overpay in order to get this house and they just wanted a house and not a place that they really felt like they were going to build a future. Yeah. Um, I mean, even on the investment side, I had a client this year and he was looking for an owner-occupied fourplex and that's hard find because there aren't that many of them with the house in the front and the units in the back yeah we finally jump on it and you know like everyone during us where he's like i don't know and i was like i had to spell the numbers like this is what you're gonna live here today when you change rents in a year this is what you'll live here for this price i said in two years you'll move back to where you want you'll cash flow this house you'll have a thousand extra dollars in your pocket and you can live where you want to live or go buy that house with your girlfriend yeah he was like okay i was like you got this like if the numbers make sense you got this so i think that's That's a conversation to have I love that. So you're definitely like more of a financial advisor, like for sure. I mean, I mean you map out. Right. You you kind of map it out. Well, that's the investment side of things. Yeah. But it's also understanding there's always going to be an emotional piece of it, which I think going back to what we said before, a lot of the men in our industry don't get. Yeah. That's so unique though, I think for you is just to have that edge because you're right. Like I've said so many times, investment properties, it's all business. It's numbers. Like at the end of the day, you look at the numbers, they either work or they don't. And that's true, mm-hmm. but there is like this emotional side yeah. of things. And I think everybody's a little different too, because for me, for example, I might not mind going into a rougher neighborhood and looking at an ugly property that's not sexy at all, <laughs> but I know it's going to cash flow or I'm going to make money. But then there's other people who are like, I want it pretty too. Right. Like I can get both. There's a there's a property, this will blow your mind. There's a property in City Heights that's on the market right now. It came on on Friday. It's two three-bedroom, like two-bath, like detached structures on Shimon, like deep. I know that. I used to Shimon. manage on Shimon. And there's no disrespect to anyone that lives in Shimon, but there is a presence of people that you don't necessarily want to be around when you manage property, I'll put it yes. that way. Um, came on the market at 775 and I'm like, okay, that seems, you know, about right. It's a little steep. They're at 920 already oh, with 26 offers. That's wild. Two yeah. units. Yeah. But they're all dialed in. They're pretty. They got the white countertops. They got the new cabinets. And buyers see, oh, it's just new. It's pretty. I'm like, yeah, but two doors down, you could buy a non-pretty place for like 650 And do the same thing and do for the less. Same yeah. thing for less. Yeah. I feel like City Heights, though, it's interesting because I was just with a really big apartment owner, um, 
last week and he was telling me that he sold out of all of his stuff in City Heights. Not for any other reason than I think, you know, I always tell people like, you know, where an investor is when they're buying their first property or their 10th property or their 100th property. It's so different. So different. But City so Heights is a great neighborhood for starter investors because yep. it's a price point you can actually get into the market at. Absolutely. Same with like Al Cajon. Yep. Same with Spring Valley. Yeah. These, you know, not uptown neighborhoods are great for the first time investor. I'm in, I'm an escrow with a client right now in Marietta. Yeah. Because you can still buy four units that are all two bedrooms for a million bucks in Marietta. That's wild. Is, isn't That's that? wild. And it's still San Diego County, right? No, it's Riverside. Oh, darn. But... I, you know, again, coming at it from the perspective. Oh, yeah, Marietta. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking Ramona. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I have a client that knows up there. But come from the perspective of, okay, I know that the single family housing market is so expensive here that people are having to go to Marietta in order to buy a house. Well, those original people are going to get pushed out of those houses and they're going to have to rent. And the rental inventory in Marietta is like super low. Because yeah. it's such a new community. Yeah. It's either like very nice new construction, $3,000 a month, two bedrooms, or it's this little community that exists of all these like little fourplexes. Yeah. I'm like, give it a few years. Your rents are going to be a lot higher than they are now just because it's going, like people are going to unfortunately get pushed out and you're going to have the affordable housing for them that you bought at a much lower cost than what you would get up here or down here. And if say. you have a plan, like- you know how you're going to get out of that neighborhood and into the new neighborhood. It's like, you know, San Diego, Hillcrest, whatever it is that you want to be in. It's like, as long as you have a roadmap to get there, yep, you're good to go. Yeah. So can you tell me, because you mentioned your dad a couple times, and I knew that your dad was in real estate. Oh, yeah. How did you get in real estate? What was your life growing up with a dad that was in real estate? What was that like? So my dad has been a broker in San Diego for about 45 years. Long time. He started one of like the longest running boutique brokerages for multifamily in San Diego. Um, They've trained a lot of the guys that do business here or some of them started there and then started their own firms, that kind of thing. Um, So he's been a partner there for forever. Um, So when I got done with grad school, I went to grad school in Baylor for sports management, realized halfway through that my brain worked a lot differently and I did not want to be sitting behind a desk and having some 19 year old like have an impact over if I get fired or not. Right. Like, I was yeah. like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, but I was lucky enough to get a graduate assistantship, so it was fully funded. Um, so I have no debt from that, like thankfully. So I came back to San Diego and knew I wanted to work with my dad. And my dad was so cute. He was like, Tiffany, this job is hard. And I was like, that's okay. Like, I, I'll figure it out. He's like, it's not easy. And I was he's, you know, warning me like a dad does. So I start working with him, I get licensed and really just enjoyed my first transaction I had with him. It was a couple that was 1031 exchanging a house that they owned in La Jolla that had so much deferred maintenance. And she had 1031 exchanged from like $10,000 her grandmother gave her when she died and like ended up with this house by knocking on the doors to seeing who would sell. And the house was just falling apart. It had beautiful views to the ocean and backed up to the golf course. So my dad partnered with a residential agent who knew how to market it properly. And then we ended up finding them eight units in Hillcrest and then a condominium in La Jolla. And I don't think we could have found them better properties. Like six years later, these were great investments. You can't beat Hillcrest. And so it was just such a positive first experience that that kind of like snowballed. And then I was tried to do it on my own more like before I really should have. 
So I was there for four years and just realized that my dad and I were better not working together. Um, I was going to ask you about that, working with your dad. Yeah. I call my dad every day yeah. and he gets, still gives me so much advice because he's like a plethora of multifamily knowledge. I yeah. can name like an address and he'll be like, yeah, so-and-so owned that. I think yeah. we sold that building in 1982. I'm like, what? Yeah. And like even Chris Honeycutt will say that. He's like, he'll call my dad for like advice on stuff. He's like, your dad is just like an encyclopedia. Um, and he loves talking about it, I'm guessing. Loves it. Yeah, my dad yeah. loves it. And so I kind of just like lost my way with it for a little bit. It became unfun. And then one of my friends who is, I share an office with now, and she was like, there's something off. Like, this shouldn't be – I love my job. Like, what's off here? You talk passionately about it. Like, we, we have to get you in a better situation. And Chris Honeycutt, another one, I would have happy hour with him every Friday, and I just loved talking about it with him. And I think having these people that were in the industry – that kind of like believed in me in a way that I didn't really believe in myself and your dad at your parents are different, but just like colleagues that are your own age. And so then I transitioned, I went to Coldwell Banker for about a year and then went over to EXP last year and like my business has boomed since then. Yeah. But I think it's also a mental switch. Like yeah. I really took myself super seriously is what I did. I no longer felt like I was the black sheep in the business for being a girl felt like I was the black sheep in the business for being my dad's daughter. And now I'm like, these are all assets. And I need to remember that. Like having my dad as someone that leads credibility, like for sure, it sounds bad, but it just does. I'm still young-ish. Well, it's been in the family too. So regardless right. of whether it's like you've been around it, you've been hearing it your whole life, you've right. obviously soaked up some of that information over the years. Totally. And I, you know, am thankful that my dad and my stepmom are like very open with like their properties and their books and like letting me pick through everything and help them buy property and sell property and so I see it from like a different angle and you know going through all the books and records and whatnot but also like my dad and he'll tell this story to anyone that asks but my dad lost all of his money in real estate in the early 90s my dad had acquired like 150 units and in the crash in 82 lost everything but one building in his house wow yeah so I watched my dad build back like I ended up I went to La Jolla Country Day. I yeah. went to SMU in Texas like none of these are inexpensive institutions and he was able to pay for that and get himself back on his feet with real estate and so it kind of changed that mindset of like this is way people can build their wealth back after losing everything right and so seeing that and like knowing that like that's like what this is an asset class I believe in like if you're gonna sell an asset class you I think you have to believe in it and so kind of that's where that came from. But I mean, I didn't know this. My dad was so good about not. Yeah. Like when you were little, you were just oblivious. I, I had no idea yeah, that like yeah. my dad went from basically, I mean, 150 units in today's dollar, like makes me want to cry. Yeah. And I think makes him want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, like it all worked out and they, you know, have set up a retirement plan for themselves. So watching that and watching like what they have coming in and the, the comfortability for them to retire just is like, how do people not get into this? What a great story too, like just for your family. I feel like obviously in the moment it's horrible and oh, it's yeah. hard and it's stressful, but like looking back on all the things that your family overcame and you know how you just got to have the childhood, like that you were completely oblivious oh, yeah. to all of this happening. Yeah, and, I had no idea. You know, and like how hard parents work to keep this stuff intact. And, and now you're helping people kind of build their legacy and right. their, you know, kids, college funds or whatever, you know, inheritance or whatever that's, a really cool story. Well, I think college funds and like whatever people use cash flow for so many different reasons. And I, I, 
it like bothers me so much when people are like, yeah, if you're a landlord, you're a slumlord. I'm like, no, there's a very small percentage of landlords that are, excuse my words, that are shitty. Yeah. And unfortunately it overshines like the rest of the ones that actually want to do good and they want to help their tenants and be good landlords. And, and like people do this for other reasons. They do this for retirement. Like the clients that I've worked with in San Diego are not mega rich people. Like now their net worth is high, some of them don't even have like $10,000 in their bank account. Yeah. Like they're using this money to absolutely live and not live like ballers, but yeah. the properties don't cash flow right. really well. And like all their money is tied up in equity. And these are people that were electricians. They were teachers. They were plumbers. They were normal, everyday people that just saw a, ret- a different type of retirement plan. Right. I agree. I agree. You know, it's funny that you talk about the slumlord thing or the all landlords are terrible because I feel like LAB. Yeah. There was a, there was a time where I feel like a lot of people wouldn't even sell a property because you're a real estate investor and you're just going to flip it. And they have this like emotional tie. And I'm sure that happens now still, but I feel like it's less prevalent because it's so trendy to be a real estate investor now. I know. (laughs) But that being said, I feel like too, some of the people who say that about landlords are more saying that because they're envious of their position. Yeah. You know, like I'm a renter and I'm mad at you because you're the big bad owner, you know, kind of like even this big bad corporation idea versus being the small business. And so it's like not, you can't say that about, I mean, I think first off when anybody says never and always, it's not true. It's not. It's just not true. No, no. So, um, but it is interesting that you hear that because I, we had a management company and I definitely to mention too that I feel like a lot of these landlords us included we're small businesses so we're not perfect we're gonna hit road bumps and you know we're gonna screw up it's gonna happen that's and that's another perspective that people don't really get yeah is that owning property is a small business it is a business I, I I understand this housing is a human right thing okay cool but like would you go to Whole Foods and tell them yeah you cannot raise the price of milk more than five cents every year right no. no, people would say that's ridiculous. But now they're telling a business, oh, you can't raise the rents more than X amount. It's like, go survey any longtime landlord. Most of them don't raise the rents more than 2% just because- and guess what? Now they're going to do the max And now year. they're going to do the max every single year because their management company is like, okay. Whereas before they were like, I've had long-term tenants. I want to keep them. I like them. It's more expensive. Yeah. It's more expensive to turn the property than it is to keep them and make that extra $50 a month. Yep. yep. Like- yeah, now it's it's crazy because we have a lot of mom pop owners that mm-hmm. used to just have this like very good relationship with their yeah. tenants, and they could sit down and like make a deal with them, you yeah, know, like have a conversation like adults and make a deal. And now you can't. Now it's like, sorry, you're gonna get CPI plus five percent. Like that's and that's what you're gonna get every single year. This is the rule. Like yeah. it was created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I th- that's the hard part now because now landlords can't get too far behind on the mm-hmm. rents. Like the people who didn't want to raise the rents on their buildings, now they can't get too far behind because, you know, they have these kind of limits in place. So you're yeah. always going to get the maximum to stay current. Uh, yeah. And it becomes this like weird, when you go to this Excel property, it's like the property that's completely vacant is worth more than the property next door that yeah. has tenants in it paying $1,000 yeah. because the vacant property gets you immediately to market. Right. And like some of these brokers don't really get that. And some brokers absolutely understand it. Yeah. You know, the vacancy comes up during escrow. They're like, don't, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Like leave yeah. it. Or like a vacancy comes up right before they put it on the market. They're like, don't put in the, the landlord's like, but why? It's like, no, leave it vacant. Like yeah. it's more valuable. Keep it the way it is. Yeah. It's wild. I was just thinking again too, like back to what you said. Um, 
about kind of like, you know, coming from a family that was in real estate and all these other things and now using it as an asset. I think that's so true because isn't it crazy how we put these like ideas in our own mind? Like nobody else was probably thinking this about you or if they were, like I say this to people, we have friends that are going to be like inheriting properties and I'm like, damn, I wish I was in your position. That would be amazing. Oh my gosh. You know, like it would be amazing, but it's really cool too. Like I wish my family would have been in real estate Mm -hmm. and passed these, like this knowledge down to me and stuff. So it is like such an asset and, and a, like such a benefit, but it sounds like you had some strong women or people in your corner that helped you kind of oh, get yeah. past this idea. Are it like, who are those people? Are you guys like business partners? How does that all work? Yeah. So one of my good friends, um, she is a residential realtor and she does like 95% VA, which has taught me so much about the VA loan. Um, she was a veteran herself and she was just kind of like, you gotta like, you know, so much, like, why don't you love your job? Like, we need to make changes. So we share an office together. That's awesome. Sorry, this Topa Chick is making me burp. But um, we, like, bounce ideas off each other. And just having someone that's collaborative and not yeah. competitive, which is not the general theme of multifamily or investments in general. You go into a brokerage, and it's all these people competing against each other. And they shut their door, and Fighting they don't want to talk deals, to you. Secretive. Right. Yeah. They're like, oh, I can't tell you what my secret sauce is. And it's like... people won't duplicate it. Like you could tell people what your secret sauce is. Um, So having that, and I think just, and also the relationship I formed with the people at Constellation, with Hank and with Chris and them being very smart and respected in the industry is helpful. Like when you're friends with people that other people want their phone number, it's like a weird, I remember one, someone at ACI being like, oh, are you guys like friends? I'm like, I think I'm, I think. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you, we all have friends in our industry. Um, and I think that helped, that helped me as well. It's just people that, as they say, like, they're influencers for you. Yeah. That believe in you, believe in what you're doing. Yeah. And will tell people she's smart, she's got it, and they're credible. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's so true, too. Like, you need people outside of your parents because they're always going to be your biggest cheerleader. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think real estate, if people, I would say to anyone that's going into real estate, your first year, you need to be surrounded by people that will believe in you and, like, not be in a scenario where you're having to compete in a way where it's the number one thing. Yeah. Like, comp- competition is healthy, but you also need people to, like, bring you up. I agree. Yeah. Like, that's cool that you've found some, like, strong women, too, because I feel like that's a tough thing to do. It's it's very interesting that there are other women in business that I feel like are, aren't always the most helpful. Like, they can be competitive, too. Yeah. And I, I remember when I got in the business, I was so excited that I actually sought out, like, all the women that were in real estate. Yeah. And I tried to reach out to them and they were like so tight lipped about everything. And so now, I mean, I think in the world, that was like 17 years ago, but in the right. world of social media, I feel like at least you can, like, like you said, you can find someone that gives you inspiration or helps lift you up. That's in, you know, Atlanta yeah. or, you know, it doesn't even matter where they're at. Right. But now you can kind of like have mentors, your own mentors, whether they know it or not. Totally. And I, I found for me with like my more like hybrid business. I would love the two to four space. Um, I think it's super untapped and I think people, yeah, super untapped. It's the best way to start. Like, and right now with ADUs, that's an even better way to start because the ADUs are not part of AB 1482. Yep. So there's an unlimited rental increase on those. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Oh, yeah. I was like reading through it yesterday and they're not included in the just cause. 
So like that was just like a little slip up, I think, but well, take the loophole. I think it was so they could like keep building ADUs yeah. and like not have it. Yeah. So anyway, they're not included as of right now, nor junior ADUs. So you could theoretically put two units on the back or however. Um, without rent control. Yeah, I think it's an untapped market. And so they're not considered units technically either. Exactly. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Um, I know. So it's just like an untapped market, I think. And then aligning myself with the hoorah of the residential world has like totally changed my perspective. Because before I came from a small indie brokerage, for lack of a better word, or boutique, boutique brokerage, where everyone kind of did their things. It was like, hit the phones and you'll make deals and it's like but no like we're in 2021 there's a million other ways to a get deals and b to like make sure that you're keeping in touch with your clients Mm -hmm. like i don't want to just do business with them and then never see them again whereas like in residential land you have client event you know client parties three or four times a year you like send out x all the time and it's just a very different like way of attacking the business and once I align myself with that idea of like these are my people I have to build from here not these are one-off transactions and they're not going to build all together that was like the mind shift like switch that I needed and I think there's value with these commercial transactions if you really like dialing and you don't really like dealing with people like you just like the phone yeah you don't does that who likes the phone? That's Terry Moore. Oh my gosh, it's so true, right? <laughs> like, like, who the heck likes doing that? That was my, my worst nightmare because I was like, I'm never going to make it in this business if that's the only way you can make it. Like, I cannot dial for dollars. No. I think I always, I used to relate it to the fact that like, you know, men go out and they have to hit on women all the time <laughs> and they're used to getting rejected. They're like, if, but somebody's bound to say yes. That's how I think about cold calling. I'm like, I was not built for this. <laughs> No, I am not built for this. I'm not built to get rejected 150 times a day. I'm sorry. This is hard. This is really hard. Like my, my ego is just not even bruised. It's just yeah. like my, my everything is bruised. How did you start building your business and getting clients? I, I mean, I hate to say it, but my dad, like yeah. I would say my dad was helpful. Um, and now that he's kind of at the, I would say the latter end of his career, like he gets stuff he like brings me in on it which is really nice and then now I've built that relationship with those clients so now I can use them for referrals and use them for the reviews and etc etc and then other people like the clients that have become mine all found me online I was gonna say so because you're pretty active on social like if you google your name like you've got all the things like the LinkedIn the Facebook and the Instagram (laughs) all the things you got you know reviews on Google business you're Mm -hmm. on all of these things which is so smart has that how has that impacted your business so to be totally honest I did not get my Google business page set up till like two weeks ago I was like but you have four reviews already yeah it's because I held not her Harass is the wrong word. I specifically called my clients. Yes. I went into one. I'll of stay th- on the phone until you're done. T- right. I went into one of their offices and sat with them as they filled yeah. it out. Yeah. And it's, I mean, they so would smart. all say those things and they're all genuine, but it's, yeah. But let's face it. Nobody wants to take the time to write the reviews because we even have automatic, you know, like, hey, write a review about us. Sure, I'll get to that. And then they forget and then it never happens. So one, one of my coaching programs could work for y'all one of my coaching programs told me you write the review for them you send it to them and say hey does this look good and then they can make edits on their review and say hey would you mind posting it here and all they do is click the link copy paste yes yes we have uh had a couple clients who are like help me out like you're amazing i would love to support you but i suck at this yeah (laughs) so put this into words and we have helped out with that Mm -hmm. um but it's so true and i think also too it's just as you grow in your business it gets harder and harder to do these things like just to follow up you 
then at some point you need like a specific person in your company that's designated to doing this stuff. Right. And it's just one of those little things you never get to the social media and the reviews and all that good stuff. How do you manage your time? So I'm in a place right now, very thankfully where I, well, okay, I'm going to say working more resident, more, um, investment than residential is a blessing because I'm not out there opening doors for people because half the time you can't get into these units yeah. or you get one chance to get in and that's it and it's like there's very few that come in the market so it's not like my residential friend who is showing 10 homes five times a week yeah. and has to have an assistant to do all that and she's like I don't want to be opening doors and I'm like I never open doors like it's yeah. fun when I get to open yeah. the doors yeah um, so right now I'm lucky enough to have stuff in escrow, have stuff going, have the money coming in. And it's giving me a chance to build out that other stuff, the Google yeah. business, the website, the LinkedIn, and it really focus on it. I know that I've gotten leads from this. So this, this is a legitimate lead source now. This isn't just some one-off thing. So now I have to commit to these because this is more fun mm-hmm. than calling. Yeah. And I'm still getting business from it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like too, because people ask us all the time, like, how does the podcast work for you for business, Instagram, all these other things. And I'm like, you can't quantify it like dialing for dollars or like maybe some sort of internet marketing, whatever. You can't really quantify it. But what I can say is that it's validated people that were thinking about us that weren't sure and they were on the fence. And you're like, oh, she actually does know what she's doing. People like working with her. Right, no, it's so true. And the Google reviews thing is so so funny because I don't think most of the agents in town have that set up. They all do Zillow, I think. No, like the commercial agents. Oh, no, no. Like, I don't think they do. We're old school. Like, commercial brokers are so, like, they think they're, I will say that most brokers think that they're, like, doing amazing technology because they get drone videos now on their properties. Like, I'm like, that's that's so six years ago. Like, get a Matterport. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Yes. Um, or get like the 3D plan, which would help us all out anyway. Yes. <laughs> you yes. can see where all the rooms are. Yes. Uh, the bathrooms. Um, yeah. I, but you look at the, back to Terry Moore. Terry Moore does very well. Yes. But Terry Moore has that website. Terry Moore writes the articles every single month in the Rural Housing Association magazine. He wrote like, a book too. He wrote a book. Yeah. Like, and you're like, okay, let me survey all the people in this office and who does the best. It's that person. So let me try to mimic what they're doing. To, like, yes, he dials a lot. I mean, that's obviously a big yeah. portion of it. But he has all the other things in place, too, that yeah. therefore he's considered a market leader besides just the calls. Absolutely. he does. I think he does everything. He seems like a very routine guy. I've worked with him a few, a few times. I, we spoke at an event together a yeah. couple years ago. Um, but he's, like, a very routine guy that he does. Like, he has his, like, checklist of things that he does every day, and he does them like clockwork. He has, like, a private coach, which... Aha, uh-huh, so smart. Yeah. I think we all need coaches. Oh, absolutely. I think I think you just need to be involved in some side of something that keeps you on top of it. Like, yeah. I'm in, like, okay, like, I need to start – not need to. I personally want to start leveraging, like, Reels and TikToks because I see other agents that do it in other markets, and I'm like, they put fun content out? Yeah. And I'm like, if I had a referral, I'd probably give it to them because I think they look, like, fun, and they seem to know what they're talking about. And, like, I know what I'm talking about. They know what they're talking about. I would refer someone to them. Yeah. Not like I would – because yeah. I probably don't know someone moving there, but... But if it ever comes up, you'll be like, her. If it ever comes up, right. Yeah. Um, so my time is all over the map. I just have to... So back to that question. My timing is all over the map, as is my brain, very clearly. Um, but I have to work out every day, and I wake up like clockwork at the same time, and have to set a wrong time for this. If it's not in my schedule, I forget about it. Well, real estate is tough, because I feel like 
no matter how much, let's say you time block, like I know we've a lot of talk about time blocking, how amazing that is. I'm like, that's amazing. But then you have this emergency that comes mm-hmm. up, this thing that blew up, this yep. thing over here you got to go run to. Yep. It was very difficult to time, to batch your time yeah. when, you know, real estate doesn't really see time. No, no. I mean, especially I, I don't currently like manage properties, but like that, that just does not see time. No. No. Like, no notices given. I think most of real estate is kind of like just putting out fires a lot. And even when you think you're being so organized, like something will come and like blow up your day. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like the social media thing is very tough for a lot of agents and that's why they have not done it because there's just so many other things that need to be done. It's like its own separate business. It is. And I think it's finding the fun in it. It's if I'm going to educate, like it needs to, I came to the realization a few years ago when I was getting the same questions and I was like, why is this not a document? Yeah. Why is this not a YouTube video? Why yeah. am I not like sending people to something that spells out everything? Yeah. Like this would just save all this time. It would make me look more credible. Right. So it's like that's in the works right now. And some of these, some of the videos that I'm doing are really just to give that information out. But it's also to create touch points with my clients, like sending out that, you know, what did I there was the on July 31st, for example, you had to send that notice to all of your tenants if they were late on the rent. Yep. So I sent my entire network, like, by the way, you have to send this by Saturday, like, or else you can't collect any late rent from your tenants. Yeah. Or the uh, county opened up a uh, fund for landlords and applications open on the 15th. So it's like here, you know, here so you know if you have any missing rent payments from the last 18 months, like you can collect if you're a small landlord, like, here you go. And it's seeing people open that and then seeing the response from that. I'm like, so smart. It, it, also, too, because it's all gotten so confusing that people are like, so what? Confusing. You want a management company? The management companies are yeah. confused. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Molly Kirkland's like, my pastor. I'm like, hey, Molly. Yeah. The Rental Housing Association. Can we do this? She's yeah. like, yeah. I'm like, oh, cool. Thank you. That's so funny. Well, that's awesome that you do all that. I feel like you have a very entrepreneurial spirit. So it seems that way. You're a very confident and like, very good at what you do and I'm tall just want to guide people through across. <laughs> it's more than just that it's so funny though I feel like uh because Kenny my husband's very tall and he can command a room it's his height I'm like I know if you were a foot shorter it would be different but it's a thousand percent the height thing I've gotten that for years like oh she must not be very nice I'm like no because I'm tall and sitting in the corner yeah. and like don't I'm I'm very shy in certain situations I have like, never seen a situation that you've been shy not that I've you've been seen around me in situations where you I've known people yeah, you're very comfortable right right and like we've all hung out before so I was much more comfortable and then if I get talking it's a different story but you get me in a room of people that I don't know and I'm like in the back corner like by myself like and really okay with that I feel good that said that because I am the person in the back corner but I'm not okay with it oh I'm like when you guys did that event last year like I was so far in the back like in the back like sitting at the bar with my classical guy and like sitting down like I was like I don't need to like be anywhere near like sitting with Tiana I was like I'm good that is so funny yeah I'm not okay with it I need to work on that maybe I could just like not not give a shit that'd be cool so for the things that really helped me I would say with in-person interactions two big things one I was Miss La Mesa in 2015 and part of that was we were often tasked with selling raffle tickets at these fundraisers 
So selling raffle tickets when you have a crown and a sash on, it's not Tiffany selling raffle tickets. It's Miss LaMesa selling raffle tickets. Yeah. So it's stepping into a persona that just wasn't me. Yeah. And so it kind of broke that like barrier of like entry to like making it more comfortable. Yeah. And then it like my sales like I'd be like, I'm gonna win. There was one one event where I, I got I made three thousand dollars on raffle tickets. Wow. So you're competitive. <laughs> I was like I was like going around and I was like asking everybody they were getting drunker and I was like, have you bought a raffle ticket yet? And I had my little like teen with me and she would take payment and I would take the sale. And then so that was that was one year. And then two years after that I helped my friend at the farmers market. And when you have to sell stuff at a farmers market and it's a product that nobody knows and they don't really understand and you have to like over and over and over again. It's like both of those were like blocks in the confidence. Yeah. Because it's so far out. And most people, I mean, there are guys in this business that I don't think could sell stuff in person. Right. I agree. Like, I agree. Behind the phone's a lot easier. A lot easier. Yeah. I, th- I think it's harder because I can't react to people's facial expressions. Yeah. And I, I prefer in person. Oh, yeah. I'm much more effective in person. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because I can react to their energy. I can change my voice. In particular, change yeah. my face. Yeah, yeah. And that, then you know if you can push that person a little more, you right. need to back off a little more. Like, it's, yeah. You can... Sales. It's yeah. it's in-person yeah. sales. Like, yeah. totally different ballgame so than much better. sales. Yeah, well, this was really fun, I feel like. Um, so we all... We ask somebody the same... We ask everybody the same question. Yeah. Every single podcast. So we're, I'm going to ask you. Okay. What does generational wealth mean to you? Ooh. Fun one. Um, I should know this. That's a good one since it's like in my bio, I feel like. Um, I think (laughs) helping people create generational wealth, um, I think it's being able to pass stuff on. I think it's be able to put your heirs or your family, whoever it is, children, nieces, nephews, everyone sets their family differently in a position where they're a little bit better off than you are. And they're not sitting in a debt position. Yeah. That sounds negative, but um, yeah, creating just, I think, a better opportunity for the people that will come next. And it could maybe even not be heirs. It could be a nonprofit, like whatever it is. It's keeping things going. I think Conrad Previs is a good example of that. You know, he his names on everything. His name's on everything. Yeah. And it, generational wealth didn't mean the typical giving it to your kids. I think his son got like $5 million. Yeah. Um, but the zoo got yeah. millions of dollars and UCSD and that's gonna better for the community right that's gonna keep going for generations yeah that's really cool. anything else that is like some serious generational wealth I would say this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com <laughs>